Do you believe that when a life is taken too soon and the case is never solved, that the spirit is tethered to a place, never being able to leave? This may have been the case for a particular Penn State student who people say can still be found exactly where she fell. Ooh, that's creepy. Can you imagine moving your whole family from a town because of a crime that occurred, such as an abduction? So you move them to a different town that you feel will be safer, and then the same thing happens, but this time to you. From time to time, during the How Did We Miss That podcast, we may talk about details of crimes that some may find triggering or disturbing. Listener discretion is highly advised. Benny, happy Monday morning, or whenever you listen to this, I guess. Welcome back to How Did We Miss That? I'm Christine. And I'm John. Hi. We are. We are. Penn State. Yes, we are. Not them, though. Not anymore. Not anymore, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I picked this story because it is near and dear to my family. Mm-hmm. My lovely baby brother graduated from Penn State. Guest of the show. Guest of the show. Yeah. Friend of the pod. Yes. He, uh, yeah, he graduated from Penn State, so it's a kind of a close to home, I guess, in a way. We like Penn Absolutely. State. We've been there. It's super fun. I've been a fan since before I knew you and your brother existed. I know. So it, it all works out. Right. And yes. so I think when he first started going to school there, he mentioned the story. But oh, it was really? one I that I had never... That. He just kind of mentioned like, oh, I think there's a haunting. Hmm. And I did know that, like, Paranormal State, the show, is from Penn State. Yeah. So that's really all I knew about it. But when I started researching, I was like, oh, this is very interesting. So wait, you're covering a haunting and I'm covering a murder. What's going on here? No, I have a murder slash haunting. Oh, murder slash haunting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, then. All right. Well, my sources for this story are onwardstate.com, a YouTuber named Brooke McKenna, and a news article from Lancaster Online. Lancaster? Right. Lancaster? That's sure. how they say it there. Sure. I'm assuming you're talking about the Amish country of Pennsylvania where Penn State is near. I would assume as well. Lancaster. Beautiful. Sure. It is gorgeous. It Absolutely is. Absolutely yeah. beautiful. Love it. All right. Well, let's talk about Betsy. Betsy Ardsma was born on July 11th, 1947 in Holland, Michigan. At 5'8", she was the second oldest of four children, and she was said to be extremely artistic, intelligent, and creative. She was a dreamer, but someone who was not afraid to work hard for what she wanted. She worked hard for the money? So hard so for the hard money? So hard for it, honey. Yes. <laughs> Wait, it's so hard for it, honey? Yeah. Oh, I thought it was hard for the money, so hard for the money. No. Yeah. I, I'm I so bad I don't at know. this. I'll go with you. I, I'm terrible at lyrics. I'll go with you. Anyway, wow. who cares? Okay. Well, Irrelevant. Now, now I'm thinking, <laughs> rethinking my whole childhood. I'll look it up while you continue. All right. Anyway, like I said, she was not afraid to work for what she wanted. 
So she went to study at the University of Michigan, and she eventually wanted to enter the Peace Corps. But in 1969, at 22 years old, she finally graduated, but she wasn't sure if her original dream was exactly what she wanted anymore. Mm. Did you get it? Update. She works hard for the money, so hard for it. Honey. Thank you. She works hard for the money, so you better treat her right. That's correct. All right. All right. Glad, <laughs> Glad we, we cleared that solved up. that. Yeah. Yes. Thank God. <laughs> we solved something today. Yes. We solved the uh, cold case. <laughs> we did. <laughs> So like I said, she wasn't sure exactly what she wanted, if she still wanted to go in the Peace Corps or whatever. So she actually decided that she was going to get a master's degree at Penn State University. This is actually where her boyfriend David was attending. And they figured that since he was working towards a medical degree there, this would kind of be the best way for them to get to like have more time together. I mean, I think that makes sense, right? So they weren't actually like exactly engaged at this point in time, but they were pretty much promised to each other. You know, like they don't have the rings yet, but they're pretty Did sure they it's going to happen. Ring? I just said they don't have rings yet. Not even a promise ring. I, I understand they don't no. have an engagement ring, but sometimes there's that. No. You know, cheap Cracker Jack box promise. I guess ring. in 1969, no we could say she'd been pinned. Oh, uh, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. I guess they're that's going how they steady. say it. They're going steady. Yeah. Maybe she's wearing his Letterman's Yes, exactly. Okay. (laughs) Letterman's sweater. Sweater. Sorry. Maybe. At that time, I don't know. Anyway, yes, they are together. All right. Yes, they were together. They seemed really happy to those around them. So everything for Betsy was happening just as she wanted. She felt like her life was really falling into place. That is until everything came crashing down. On November 28th of 1969, right around Thanksgiving, everyone It had pretty much gone home to be with their families, but Betsy decided she wasn't going to. She had an English paper that was due when the holidays were over, and being the great student that she was, she wanted to stay and make sure that she had it finished. So back in 1969, where would you go to research a paper? They did not have Google or the internet. I mean, I'm sure that maybe she had access to like an enormous set of Encyclopedia Britannica. Microfiche. Microfiche. Yeah. But the only place at this time was... The Biblioteca. A library. Yes. Correct. Mm -hmm. Well, the Petit Library on campus was where Betsy decided to head with her roommate to work on her paper. She was wearing a red sleeveless dress with a white turtleneck underneath. Promise that will be important. Because, you know, winter in Pennsylvania, it's cold, right? So we got to wear the turtleneck underneath the dress. High fashion in 1969, the turtleneck. The turtleneck. Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, they get to the library, but they had their separate ways because they both had different things that they wanted to work on. And I mean, it's not a social place anyway, so that kind of makes sense that you're not going to sit with your friend. Betsy headed downstairs to the office of a professor who would know exactly what she would need to complete her project. She got the information from him and then headed to the second floor stacks, aisle 51 to be exact, where it was very quiet and seemed very secure. The stacks reached all the way to the ceiling, so it made it very cozy in there. By 4.45, she was sitting and researching. And by 5 p.m., a man went to the desk clerk at the library and just said, somebody better help that girl, then walked away. Aha. I remember your brother saying this when we were there for graduation. When we went, we were touring around, Mm -hmm. walked into the library, and he said something about, yeah, but he just such like and such is haunted. Fleetingly yeah, that's it. mentioned it. Yes. So this is I, this is really cool to hear like the whole story. Absolutely. I can picture that moment though when he said right. that. And I was like, oh really? But when I saw the pictures on the 
you know, when I was researching, I was like, oh, that's I saw that. That's where he took us. Remember? Yeah. And if, for the listeners that have never been to Penn State, this whole thing is very plausible because the buildings are super old. Super old. Some of them super creepy. Right. Yeah, I get it. Well, cool. You know what else is creepy? What's that? Somebody just coming and saying somebody better help that girl and walking away. Yes, absolutely. What? Suspect number one. Weird. Red flag. Yeah. But of course, the desk clerk didn't understand. So she decided she's just going to ignore it. Well, unfortunately, they would find Betsy in the stacks, surrounded by piles of books scattered everywhere. They at first thought that maybe she had fainted, so they decided to try to give her mouth-to-mouth, but that wasn't working, so they called the paramedics. And when they arrived on scene, they brought her to the campus hospital immediately. Upon arrival, they finally realized just how Betsy had actually been hurt. Okay, so she was actually really badly hurt, and they didn't realize this at that point yet. Remember that I mentioned she was wearing a red dress? Well, that actually served to camouflage the bloodstains that were underneath it. She had been stabbed in her left breast, one inch wide and three inches deep. Her pulmonary artery had been severed and her right ventricle was pierced as well. Yikes. Yeah. She had no defensive wounds whatsoever, though. So detectives actually believed that maybe she'd been stabbed from behind. Hmm and did not have a chance to fight her attacker, or maybe it was someone she knew and she didn't expect that that would happen to her. Gotcha. Right? So when investigators got to the crime scene, they realized that the campus security did not do a great job of securing the area. Students that wanted to get a look had trampled through the area, and it was actually discovered that a janitor had come to clean up a puddle of urine which actually had come from Betsy after she'd been stabbed. I mean, I can imagine her being really scared at this point. So that's probably what happened. But he cleaned it up. Don't you lose your fluids when you die as well? I think so. Yeah. I mean, from what I have heard, I believe that your bodily fluids, all your muscles like stop keeping things in. So that's what I heard. Evacuate. So (laughs) your bowels, I guess. Can I just point out as the security Mm -hmm. guy on the show? This is like the fifth time we've heard about campus security not securing a scene. What's going on here? Well, I mean, this is 1969, so maybe they just weren't trained very well. Well, I get I it. I would and get now, like nowadays, like, come on, guys, figure well, nowadays, it out. nowadays, most colleges are actual police departments, so I would hope it's better. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, who knows who they were, if it was contracted or whatever, but yeah. Crazy, like, that's security 101. When an emergency happens, yeah. create a perimeter, seal it off, don't let anybody in. That's right. Don't do anything. Yeah. I mean, I get it if you aren't sure exactly what happened. Like, if they truly felt she fainted, I could see how they would just be like, okay, well, no big deal. You know, I kind of get that. But anyway, so even he cleaned up the urine puddle and he also put things away. So, so yeah. Wow. Very good uh, employee, I guess. But right, I not mean, in this he case. did his job, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, police interviewed thousands of people in the area. They actually ended up by the end of this interviewing 5,000 people. And they found out one very surprising and disturbing truth that no one in the library that day had heard anything. That seems odd because libraries are so quiet. Right. It was odd. You think you'd hear something. Right. Her falling to the ground, a thud, anything. Maybe a scream. I don't know. Right. There were actually around 90 students in the library at this time, though this was actually less than normal since, of course, it was Thanksgiving break. Mm Mm-hmm. Betsy's funeral was on December 2nd, and investigators were working so hard to solve the case. The coroner found that she was stabbed with a hunting-type knife, 
And so I obviously went to Google. Mm -hmm. Like you do. So according to Google, hunting knives are traditionally designed for cutting rather than stabbing and usually have a single sharpened edge. The blade is slightly curved on most models, and some hunting knives may have a blade that has both a curved portion for skinning and a straight portion for cutting slices of meat. Mm-hmm. So, just for those of you that are not aware of hunting knives like I was. Yes. One witness said that they saw a man, or possibly two, leaving the area at the time of Betsy's murder, and they also had the desk clerk do a sketch. Now, I'm going to show you this sketch. I want you to describe what you see in the picture. Okay. I'm really good at this. I know you are. That's why I'm showing it to you. So here it is. This is the sketch that the desk clerk made. What do you see? Okay. I see a man who kind of looks like the guy in that thing you do that played the drums. (laughs) He's wearing glasses typical of 1969, kind of the old timey Ray-Ban type glasses. His Uh eyes are closed. Fairly bushy eyebrows, longer kind of bushy hair, um, small lips, bigger nose. Okay. Yeah, that's does it. He, does he look like a very specific person? No, or he looks like your average like 1969 guy. guy. Right? Yeah. Exactly. That's why I mentioned the, that thing you do guy, not trying to be funny. He looks like it's your basic white dude yeah. from Pennsylvania. Exactly. Yeah. It's not a very specific drawing. What's with the closed eyes? Did they not have I'm not sure that the eyes are closed. In every picture that I saw, it's almost like they're, it's so old that they're like covered or maybe she didn't see his eyes. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. So she couldn't describe them. Maybe they put the picture of them closed because if they're opened, it would skew the drawing, I guess. Right. So this is kind of the only thing I could think of is maybe because of that. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So they showed the sketch to the person who said they had seen the man fleeing the area, and they agreed that it could possibly be the same man, but they were still no closer to finding out who exactly this man was, because like we just mentioned, looks like everybody. Of course, the first suspect was Betsy's boyfriend, David, because it's always them, right? Yep. She had been stabbed in the perfect place that killed her quickly with very little sound and blood. And who would know that better than a medical student, right? Mm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, they interviewed him, and he mentioned that his plan was actually to propose to Betsy at Christmas, and then they were going to be married the next year. He was extremely upset about this, and he explained that they actually had just been together the day before. They had a great Thanksgiving dinner with some of their friends, and then Betsy said that she wanted to get some work done, so he dropped her off at the bus stop and went home to do some of his own work. This would be the last time that David would see her alive. He was very emotional and intense, and investigators truly believed that he had nothing to do with it. So now it's 1970, and they are no closer to solving this case. They have no leads. Penn State actually put up a reward for any information leading to the solving of this case, but that proved to be completely fruitless. Now, there was one man who said that he had seen a man and a woman arguing in the stacks. Mm. Then a short time later, he heard the sound of books falling and someone hitting the metal of the bookcase. But he could not positively identify Betsy or any other person that he knew. So another suspect was a 25-year-old student named Richard Hafner, who lived in the same residence as Betsy. And they felt that he actually really resembled the sketch of the man that the library clerk had described. 
So I'm going to show you a picture and I want to see what you think. Okay. About Richard and the sketch. Gotcha. Do you have a side by side? Okay. So here's Richard. Mm. Okay. I mean, like we said, right. it looks like every average white guy from Pennsylvania. Yeah. So the only thing that struck me was the wave in his hair that's kind of in the sketch. Yeah. That's kind of the only thing that struck me as possibly being him. This guy looks a lot older to me than the sketch. Right. But the rest of it, he just looks like every average yeah. dude, yeah. There's just no, like the sketch does. There's no outstanding features on the sketch that would point to anybody, anything specific. Right. Hmm. All right. Well, he was actually already on the police's radar for being a child molester. Oh, good. Isn't that nice? Yeah. And for stealing artifacts from a museum that he worked at. Hmm. Hey, maybe we could tie him to the... Oh. Yeah. Hey. That's not that far away. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) The timing's off a little bit. It's a little bit off, yeah. yeah. He had an uh, like anger towards women, but he was also known for being very charming. So it's obviously speculation... But perhaps Betsy, being the kind, sweet person that she was, had befriended him. But when she realized who he really was, she decided that she did not want to be around him. And he decided to take his anger out on her and kill her. Actually, six years later, after the murder, Richard was charged with the sexual assault of two young boys. He completely lost his temper in court. And the judge held him in contempt and sentenced him to jail for one month and a $500 fine. There was actually another story of a young woman who had to call the police after he had driven 800 miles to see her. And when she denied his advances, he would not leave. So he didn't actually hurt her or anything, but I think it definitely speaks to how obsessed he could possibly become with someone. Yeah. I mean, that's a little creepy to drive that far. He's got some issues there. And he's obviously very angry, like short temper. Yeah. That show, To Catch a Predator, people used to drive hundreds of miles to meet up. Insane. With someone they met online. It is gross. How desperate can you be? gross. Yeah, crazy. Anyway, Betsy's friends and family actually did confirm that they had been friends and that she did tell them that she was going to end their relationship. So I feel like, yes, it's speculation, but it's kind of a good speculation. However, Richard did have an alibi. He was eating at the hub at the time of Betsy's murder. And I did check with baby brother and it is actually still the hub. He said there's all kinds of cool like restaurants and places to go eat. It's like the student center basically. Yeah. So it's kind of cool. It's the same place. Yeah. But anyway, we went by there. Isn't that where the ice cream is near there? I don't think so. Uh, Maybe not. No, I don't. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. But Richard's academic advisor had told police that Richard had come to him very upset about Betsy's murder. But this was before any of the information had been given to the news. Mm. Unfortunately, he waited seven years Mm -hmm. to tell campus police, who didn't actually pass on the information to investigators until it was too late. Yeah, this guy sounds like a real dick. (laughs) <laughs> good, good one, one right? yeah <laughs> very nice thank you very much well richard ended up dying of a heart attack in 2002 oh, poor guy. after being a successful geologist hmm. so he might have been very strange but maybe not a murderer okay yeah so here's another are really you, are you oh, claiming on this here podcast for the world that geologists are strange 
No, I'm saying he was particularly oh, okay. strange. All right, just checking. There was actually this I don't story. Want to profile that. His cousin was interviewed by the police, and he wouldn't give them any details, but he told them that he had once gone into his garage and and quote saw things I wish I never had. Oh, wow. There was no more details. Like that was just <laughs> okay. So basically, he was a very strange person. I guess. Gotcha. Okay. Right. <laughs> So I got another strange theory for you. You ready? Yeah. One theory that people have is that the Zodiac killer may have actually been responsible for her murder based on the sketch being very similar. So I'm going to show you side-by-side sketches. I'm going to see what you think about this. Yeah, but I, okay. We'll, well, I know what you're going to say. We'll get there in a second. He was only in Northern California. Eh. <laughs> The guy on the left looks more like uh, the late Chester from uh, Lincoln Park. Not, oh, yeah, it kind of does. It's weird. <laughs> those two guys don't look anything alike. So, well, yeah. So okay. they have glasses and they short have the glasses, hair. Right? Both look like your average white guy, though. So this is around the same time. But as you just said, Zodiac was in California. This yeah. is Pennsylvania. It's like 2,000 miles away. Can't get away. too much further away in this country. And right? there's not it's, a lot of air travel like it is now in 69. Right. So, so yeah. it is so very far apart. Yeah. So I also think that this theory is also very far yes. apart. Agreed. So who could have killed her? I don't know. What do you think? Hmm. Are you of the opinion that she was surprised and stabbed from behind or that she knew the person and that's why she didn't put up a fight? When you say stabbed from behind, like not in the back, but came up from yeah, and went mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, reached around. No, I think she was surprised. I think it was the med student guy. You think it was her boyfriend? Yeah, who knows oh. how to, who knows exactly how to do it. Okay. All right. Because that's a, like a precision cut. Like I wouldn't right. know how to do that. If I'm stabbing, if I'm just a criminal, your random criminal, I'm, and I'm just stabbing, I'm just going to stab. Like I don't know exactly where to go or right. how to do it so there's less blood. It could just be a coincidence, but that sound, I like that. The sound of that lead. Now, don't forget, though, that David did say that the night before they were just with a bunch of his medical student friends. Mm-hmm. Okay. So maybe one of them was not happy about their relationship. Maybe he wanted to be with Betsy. Maybe it was a woman who didn't want Betsy around David. Yeah, there's lots that. Yeah. of different ideas here. But I agree with you. I think it was somebody she knew. And so when that person approached her, she didn't feel any danger because she knew this person, and then I mean, it just takes a second to stab someone. Well, it, it does, but you so don't quickly. die instantly. I mean, usually well, stabbings you, you bleed out. Get them in the pulmonary artery. You sure do. You think, but wouldn't that just be like getting your um, another artery cut where you'd bleed out? Like there, there should be some kind of. I get the whole approach, and they're friendly, so maybe there's no like ah. But when you get stabbed, there's it's going to hurt, and there's going to be a noise. I, maybe I, there's got to be. I don't know. I feel like sometimes you can get so shocked. You know? Yeah, I I, I get it, but. All right. Well, to this day, almost 52 years later, this case still remains unsolved. But wait. There's more. There's more. Yeah. Some believe that Betsy never actually left Mm. the library. Years later, on the 25th anniversary of her death, a lit candle and newspaper clippings of the murder were found in aisle 51 with a note written on the carpet saying, R.I.P. Betsy Ruth Ardsma, 
July 11th, 1947 to November 28th, 1969. P.S. I'm back. Okay. Listen, I believe in the (laughs) ghosties and the goblins and all that, but I also believe in college students and fraternity kids and whatever like to cause pranks and do something like that. Obviously, everyone probably knows this legend and story. What do you you have thoughts on this, Flapjack? I feel like Flapjack the Corgi wants to weigh in on yeah. this situation. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> okay. Can you quiet down now so we can finish this? All right. Good Thanks, dog. Bud. Anyway, right. I think I know that college students, if they know the legend or whatever, this is like a total pledge prank for Maybe. a fraternity. Sure. Absolutely. All right. But ever since then, the legends have spread through Penn State. People say they hear screams and see blood, but she didn't make any noise and there was no blood. Yeah. So why would there suddenly be screams and blood? Right. I, I right. don't know. That doesn't make any sense to Agreed. me. Agreed. Yes. What does make sense is for Betsy to be trapped in the library, never being able to leave because her case was not yet solved. The bad part about these stories, though, is that it takes away from the actual case and the memory of Betsy. So. Hmm. As with any case, police just need someone to say something. So if you know anything, please contact the Pennsylvania State Police at 717-783-5599. And just as Robert Sack says, maybe you could help solve a mystery. That was good, right? That's good. You could yeah. hear him. Yeah, I could but, hear him. Yeah. You don't sound quite like him, but close. I know. Yeah. But it was close. That's good. Thanks. Well, mine is also an unsolved case, unsolved mystery. It was actually on the show with Robert Sack, Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah, it was on that show. Oh, cool. And this is sort of a local one. Everything's local in Massachusetts. It's out of Western Mass, but we're so small here that it's local. Right. It's from a rural area in Worcester County. And my sources are Wikipedia. Of course. Western Mass News, unsolvedmysteries.fandom.com. Oh, did you know that existed? I did, sorry. <clears throat> and crimemuseum.org. So we're going to talk about Molly Bish. Molly Bish. Bish, please. <laughs> sorry, just got to get that out terrible. of there. Um, and her murder, and it's unsolved, like I said. And there's a tie to a case I covered oh. a couple weeks ago at the end of this. And that's really the reason I did this, because I'm not the murder guy on this show. Right. But I had to give some background information in case our listeners don't also listen to Crime Junkie, which is a story you told me was on recently. And I feel like it's sort of popular, um, even though I missed it, but I'm not a crime person. Right. So, Molly Bish was your typical 16-year-old girl in 2000, popular, good-looking, and ambitious. In June of 2000, when school finally let out for summer, Molly decided to take her first job and began working as a lifeguard at Commons Pond in her hometown of Warren, Massachusetts. Okay. Now, I mentioned in the intro, I say hometown, but it's not really her hometown. Her and her family moved from the Detroit area. Oh, okay. That's because fine. a crime happened, an abduction, and they felt unsafe. So they oh, okay. moved to Massachusetts, small town, Western Mass, felt that it was safer, whatever. Unfortunately, she ends up getting abducted. Right. There. Crazy, right? Massachusetts has just about a million ponds throughout the Commonwealth. Yeah. These are known to normal people as a lake, probably, even though some are quite small. Most of the ponds here are located in secluded and heavily wooded areas in the more rural areas of the state. Commons Pond was no exception. 
It was tucked away in a somewhat isolated area of the woods in Warren. Molly's mother, Maggie, dropped her off for her shift on June 27th and went on her way. Three hours later, she received the call that no parent ever prepares to receive. An alarming call from a police officer saying that several people at the pond had reported that there was no lifeguard on duty. Maggie rushed to the pond after getting the call from the officer, and what she found only increased what she had already feared. Once out of her car and to the bank of the pond, she found Molly's flip-flops, chair, first aid kit, radio, and lunch, but there was no sign of her anywhere. Hmm. Maggie immediately worked with the police, and a search ensued of the surrounding woods and the other areas of the pond. However, Molly could not be found. While there was no obvious signs of struggle at the scene, Maggie and the police were convinced that she was abducted. I'm not really sure how they just immediately go to that. I mean, well, so what I heard in the story was that she was actually a very responsible girl. Right. She took her job extremely seriously. So if she left her radio, her first aid kit, everything she would need to like respond to an emergency. Exactly. It doesn't seem right. And right. obviously something's wrong. And I, weren't her shoes there as well? Yeah, her flip-flops and I just That's right. and I put in my notes as well that there were no signs that she would just up and disappear either. She was a friendly and happy teenager. I mean like right. not someone who would run away or like you said abandon her workplace. Very right. responsible. And so, it didn't really make sense, but I don't know if I'd immediately jump to abduction that quickly, especially in 2000 when there's technology, there's phones, whatever. You know, I don't know. I don't know that that would be my first thought. Maybe it would be for me because I'm a worry wart, but h- how would you feel? Yeah, I don't know. I feel like with her, I I guess we could just talk about like Jacob, for example. Our son is a very responsible child and he knows what he needs to do and he wouldn't just up and leave, especially right. knowing that other people could be in danger if he wasn't where he was supposed to be. Right. So I feel like if we were to come upon a place where Jacob was supposed to be and he's not there, that's probably immediately what I would jump to. Yes. All right. I gotcha. Well, to give some insight into why she may have felt this way, what solidified the thoughts in her mind was that she quickly remembered seeing someone in a white car in the pond's parking lot the day before when she dropped Molly off for work. Mm. Maggie recalls his presence feeling uncomfortable and believes she may have seen Molly's potential abductor that day. She immediately, her thoughts went to, I saw this guy. I felt weird about it. They don't really go into the why she felt that other than just the way he looked kind of hanging around a pond. But I mean, it's a popular pond. It's summertime. I don't, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, but you don't I just mean, sit in your car. That's that's creepy. A man just sitting there? Yeah. I, I agree with weird. you a thousand percent. However, I did that just today as we record that while you and the kids went to explore and I'm sitting in the parking lot of a park okay (laughs) so i i understand i get it yes that's fine but i get it but let me just say something about intuition whether it's people or women's i don't know but i feel like our bodies have they notice things we maybe our brain and our eyes are not noticing maybe it's like subconsciously we're noticing something so you guys if you feel weird about something don't be afraid to just go. <laughs> well, and that's exactly what I put <laughs> in my notes as well. Stay away. Why didn't she report it then? Like, go call somebody and say, there's this weird guy hanging around the pond. Right. I know. I think, But she didn't do that. I think it's one of those things where you're like, oh, I don't want to seem stupid. You well, know, and, so you And don't. I have a, 
I have a special thought about that as well is that this was pre 9-11, post 9-11 with the whole see something, say something movement, although it has to do with something completely different in terrorism. I feel like people are more apt to do that now because it's been shoved down our throats. That's true. Prior to that, you're exactly right. Well, all the weird school shootings and things like that, too. It's like people are very um, suspicious of anyone around children. Right. This may have felt strange to her, but she didn't say anything. Um, But she feels very strongly about the man's suspicious nature. Nature. Maggie didn't see the man or his car the day of Molly's abduction. However, he was spotted by other witnesses in the parking lot earlier that day and at a nearby cemetery, which a path leads from the pond to that cemetery. Okay. Maggie and others only described the suspicious man as having a mustache and driving a white sedan. I'd like to go on record real quick here and acknowledge that mustaches are sus. White sedans are sus. Right. Mustaches and white sedans, super sus. Right. Very. Right? What year I mean, is this again? 19, uh, 19, 2000. Okay. Yeah. You don't just have a mustache anymore. <laughs> it's not a thing. Well, I'll show you. I also have a sketch that I'll show you. Oh. And you can see. All right. This man may have had a mustache. He's a mustachioed kind of guy. Okay. But they're still suspicious. <laughs> Even when I had one, it, it made me look sus. Yeah. You look weird. Yeah. You, I mean, you it's enjoyed like, it. You but. know what I think? I do. I did. Yeah. I think it, maybe it's like, like because of those glasses with the big nose and the mustache. Maybe we'll put it on as like a yeah. disguise. <laughs> exactly. And his mustache you know? was like that yeah. when I show it to you in a second. Okay. An extensive search for Molly followed her disappearance and would become, this is interesting, would become the largest and most expensive search for a missing person ever done in Massachusetts. Oh. Crazy. And it, like I said, it's not that big of a state. So now here, here's what I'm going to say about this, though. I have watched countless crime dramas. I have watched Unsolved Mysteries. I have listened to all the crime podcasts. Mm-hmm. And I've only heard it this one time on Crime Junkie. Okay. Or true. What? Yeah. Yeah. You, you said Crime, crime Junkie. Junkie. Yeah. That's it. That's the only time I've ever heard it. Where if this was the most expensive in the history of the state, don't you think like. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel think like it's it would because be more it's, widespreadly it's pretty recent and it's still news. going on. I mean, it's comforting, I guess, that that's the most expensive. It tells me that it doesn't happen too often here. That's right. Or that we are just that good at finding people that go missing. Hey, that's true. I mean, Massachusetts kicks ass in just about everything. Why not this? Right? It's true. We win all the championships. We started America. Why not we find missing people too? We have the cream pie. We have the... The beans. Cream donut. (laughs) Yeah. Do we have the beans? I've never seen those. That's like a myth, I think. Boston baked beans. All I know is don't call it Bean Town. Nobody likes that here. Don't call it that. Anyway, Molly's case was profiled on numerous television shows, like I mentioned, that all you crime nerds, especially you, are well versed in. Disappeared. Have you heard of that show? I have. Unsolved Mysteries, America's Most Wanted, and 48 Hours. Wow. How did I miss this? (laughs) Exactly. I've seen all of those things. (laughs) Despite all of that, Molly was never located. Her family also created a website to try to publicize the case and set up an email chain to get the word out to over 30,000 people about her disappearance. Again, all of this was to, to no avail, unfortunately. In 2001, Maggie contacted a famous sketch artist by the name of Jean Boylan, who agreed to make a composite of the man Maggie suspected to be the abductor. After a nine-hour chat, the sketch was completed and Maggie was certain it matched the man she saw in the parking lot the day of the disappearance. I'm going to show you a picture. Okay. Um, and we'll post this, of course. But the one on your right, the man's holding a cigarette. The one on the left, he's not. 
the cigarette was okay. the one that told Maggie, this is the guy. Without it, she was like, mm. <laughs> I don't know. To me, they okay. look the same. But check it out. Check out that mustache. <laughs> that is a push broom if I've ever seen one. So right away, I feel like this is Saddam Hussein. Yes. <laughs> I see that. This. Okay. The, the second thing they that look I, like the same person, but one's got a hand in front of his face and one yeah. doesn't. The second thing that I noticed okay. about this, this guy does not look like someone from Massachusetts whatsoever. No. Doesn't he look Hispanic? Yes. He kind of looks like mob bossy as well. He's got his hair yeah. like combed back. He looks probably what, like in his 50s? I mean, this is Western Mass, so he could be from Connecticut or New He's York, but he does not look going on. like a Massachusetts or Boston guy. Yeah, he doesn't definitely <laughs> doesn't this time look period. white. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, and he just... Well, despite the sketches, accuracy, and other leads, police have still not found Molly's abductor, and the case has gone cold. In late fall 2002, a hunter had seen a blue bathing suit in the woods on Whiskey Hill in the nearby town of Palmer. In May of 2003, this hunter mentioned to his friend what he found. I'm not sure why it took, you know, a good six months there to mention it. Yeah, that's weird. And that friend contacted police. An intense search of the area soon located Molly's body on June 9th, 2003. It was located just five miles from her family home. Oh, man. A cause of death was not determined. However, investigators believe she was murdered and her remains were buried there. Like I said, this is a popular story that was covered on podcasts, all those shows. Um, So I'll keep the rest of this pretty short because our listeners probably have heard of this like you have heard of her before. Over the years that followed, several leads and suspects presented themselves with some with some of them even being arrested. The main suspect, a man by the name of Rodney Stanger, who fished frequently in the pond and hunted in the surrounding woods. Stanger also closely resembled the man Maggie had seen in the parking lot. But wait. There's more. There's more. Stanger was also convicted for murdering his girlfriend in Florida. Oh. So that makes him a suspect, Yay. right? All of this sounds pretty promising. However, he has not been formally charged with Molly's murder at this time. In fact, no official arrests have been made in her case as of March 2021 at the time my sources went to print. Now for the recent news and the reason I chose this story. Do you remember my story a few weeks ago about the murder of Sophie Sergi in I Alaska? Do. do you remember how they found her alleged killer in Maine? I do. How? With DNA. DNA, dino DNA <laughs> that was preserved in amber from, no. No, not preserved in amber. That's right. Through the familial DNA sampling of Ancestry.com and similar products like 23andMe. Yes. Well, Molly's family has recently presented a bill in her honor to the Commonwealth of Massachusetts asking for the use of familial DNA to be signed into law, making it an official source for investigators to find leads for cold cases. Hmm. Molly's sister, Heather, proposed the bill and it's gotten slowed down due to COVID and things like that, but right. they're still hoping for it. So and I have a question, though. Did they find any DNA on Molly? Or on, yeah, well, Molly? hold on. Okay, sorry. No, hold on. Sorry. She's hoping that this bill and the use of these methods will help find her sister's killer. And they're also pushing for the expanded use of familial DNA to trace family members who already exist in the CODIS system. Okay. So we've talked about CODIS before. What she believes is that there's felons in the CODIS system. There's also felons out and about that are doing 23andMe. Let's use them to marry these people up. Okay. 
that's what they're saying. I don't know. I couldn't find anything that said that there was any DNA yeah. found on her. So here's the situation, though. Like, I feel like if it were me, I wouldn't be pushing so hard for this if they didn't have something. Right. It wouldn't be something that would be on my radar at this point in time. Right. Um, unless for some... Well, I guess it's not a strange reason. That would make sense that they were part of like a community of people who are part of cold cases. Their mm-hmm. family members have been missing and never found or whatever. Yeah. Maybe they're pushing as a group. I don't know. They are. They obviously have to have something that they feel like they could get from this. Otherwise, there, I just don't see the point in. There is a group so that's for pushing for it. I did not document that down in my notes, and I can't remember what it's called. But there is a group that's pushing for that. Families of cold cases that are right. trying to get yeah some kind of resolution. I know the lawyers really hate this method. We mentioned that last time I covered this. Yes. Um, but I'm in favor of it. I don't know how you feel. I figure why not use all the tools available, whether it's 100% accurate or not. I mean, it can only help. So I feel like, like in the case of Sophie, the DNA is there, but you've got to also have other things. You can't just be like, oh, it's that. It's it. We're done. Oh, of course. Of you've course. You've got to prove your case in another way. And a few times on Law & Order SVU, as we know, that is completely accurate. For sure. Um, they have had this DNA, but they had nothing else. And so the DA would not prosecute on just that. So they had to do their work. They had to work really hard and find something to get their case enough proof. You know what I'm saying? I agree 100%, but I think that without that initial lead, exactly. I feel there's like, no motivation to do the work. There's right. nowhere to start. I feel like that's a good, it's a, it's, it's the Wikipedia it is, 100%. It gives you a place to start. Think about where you would even start if you had exactly. like absolutely nothing. I can't imagine that. Yeah. You need something. And so I think this helps. Right. I'm, Agreed. I'm I think it absolutely should it. be, yeah, for sure. So let's hope the bill passes here in Mass and leads to other states and countries following suit. Agreed. Just like we did with America. That's my story. America. Awesome. Those were good stories. I like it. Well. If you would like more information about these cases or if you want to see some pictures, please make sure to follow us on social media at How Did We Miss That on all the things. And until next week, keep your head up and look out for each other. 